Well, it is good to see your faces, guys, and good to have you with us. If you're a guest, huge welcome to you. Um, we're pumped that you're here. And this morning, just so you know, you're stepping into uh, a series that we started last week called Full of It. And, and in this series, uh, we're asking a pretty simple question. There, there's this passage in John 10.10 where Jesus says something about why he came. And Jesus came for a number of different reasons, but he said something as it pertains specifically and especially to like life right here, right now. And this is what he said. He said, I have come that they might have life. That's they being us, those of us who are disciples, followers of Jesus. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Right? And so last week we talked a little bit about this, that, you know, Jesus came not just, not just for, to take care of our eternity, Right? But, but there's something about life here and now that he came for. That there's a lot of life to be lived in between now and the day that you die. And Jesus came to be a part of that. And, and to fill us with purpose. To fill us with the Spirit. To fill us full uh, of a very full life. Alright? So the question we, came to, we asked last week is, then why in the world are there so many people who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, whose life just seems to be pretty miserable. Right? Who would say... Yeah, full of, full of life, I don't know that I could say that. You know, you, you look at the way that they live, and, and, and it's like, you know, there's no discernible difference between those who would say, uh, yeah, not a Christian, please don't associate with me with that, I'm not buying that, you know. Um, and those who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you look at the two, and it's like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing it, you know. Like, somebody's full of something, and it's not life, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it's the, the dots don't connect for me, you know. And, and I think connected to that is a question like, why, why in the world, you know, in the U.S.? And th- this is a serious question for us. Why in the world in the U.S. has kind of Christianity, the movement of Jesus, the church, kind of come to a screeching halt as far as growth is concerned, generally speaking, right? While at the same time, right, in the southern hemisphere, eastern hemisphere, countries like Korea and Africa and China, it's spreading like wildfire. It's like Book of Acts kind of stuff, right? Places where it's illegal, some of them, to be Christian, right, where there, there are severe penalties for associating your name, yourself with Jesus, right? It's like, it's like a hammer, right? They're trying to stomp it out. It's just like it just drives that nail even deeper. Why is it spreading like wildfire there, but in a place like the U.S., where we kind of pride ourselves, right, in calling ourselves a Christian nation? We've got Christian businesses out the wazoo, Christian radio, Christian apparel, Christian bracelets, you know, we've got more Christian schools and universities and seminaries and books than anywhere else in the world. Why is it here? It's just come to this, this almost this stop. And I think the two questions are connected. And so in this series, uh, I'm just trying to answer that to the best of my ability and suggesting, suggesting what I'm seeing, right, what I see. Uh, so you can take it or leave it. But if we were having coffee and you asked me, why am I not experiencing this? And why are so few, it seems? Uh, these are, this is what I would suggest is the answer. And to kind of set up this morning, uh, I want to do a little bit of like a word association game, right? So I'm going to give you a word, all right, to play along. And just, I just want you to turn somebody next to you and describe what comes to mind, okay? So, so first word is celebrity, all right? Celebrity. So go ahead. All right, all right. So, so what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Celebrity. What's that? Lindsay Lohan. Kardashians. I know. I don't know why, but it's true. Celebrity. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Aaron Loy. Yeah, liar. Uh, what's that? Celebrity. Overpaid. 
Yeah? Miserable? Yeah. Some of them, yeah. For sure. Train wreck. Yeah, so, so we get the idea, you know what I mean? Like, we see faces, we see names, right? We get what a celebrity is, right? So, so I'll give you another one. Uh, politician. All right? Go. All right, all right. So what comes to mind? Politician. Full of it. Full of it. <laughs> A different kind of full of it, right? Yeah. Corruption. Useless. We don't have any politicians in the room, do we? I'm sorry. What's that? Trying to get ahead of the bunch. What's that? Powerful, self-centered, yeah. Driven, yeah. Definitely. Honest. I sense some pushback on that one. (laughs) So we get the idea, right? We, We generally agree and have people who come to mind. We understand what they do, who they are, even if we don't like it. Right, so how about the word Christian? How about the word Christian? What comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? Misrepresented? Hypocrite? Annoying? Judgmental? Complicated? Tense? Confused? Yeah. Not a lot of positive adjectives being thrown out there. Jesus. Jesus. Right? So how does that one mix with all those other adjectives? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with anything that was thrown out there as far as the adjectives are concerned. But you throw out the word Christian, you start talking about what a Christian is and how you understand a Christian. It does become complicated, doesn't it? Right? There's, there's, we have a lot of different ideas. Right? Some of us are readily passionate will say, I am a Christian, right? So somebody comes up to you on the street and says, hey, you don't know them. They're like, are you a Christian? How do you answer that question? Right, some, some of us are, yes, yes, I am. Thanks for asking. Right, some of us are like, yes, but, you know, but I'm not that kind of a Christian, you know? Or like, my first question is like, what do you mean by that, you know, Right? Right, Christian it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In fact, if we could like clump you in the groups of five or ten, and I gave you like each of you a short sheet of paper and said, "All right, define for me what a Christian is." Right, and then you shared your pieces of paper with one another. I'd be willing to bet you would not get ten of the same answers. Right, you'd probably get I don't know how many different answers, but very, very different descriptions about what a Christian is. Right, uh, for some of us, you know, we became a Christian. You know, that's how we understand it. Somewhere along the way, we weren't a Christian. Then we did something, and we became a Christian, right? So depending on your tradition, like you prayed a prayer, right? Got to a point, that's the tradition I was raised in. You get to a point, you said, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. You pray a prayer. You weren't a Christian. Now you are a Christian, right? Depending on your background, it might have been baptism, right? You got on the water, got dunked, and now, ta-da, you're a Christian, you know? Or if you grew up in a different background, maybe it was, you know, you got finished with a class, or you finished 
confirmation or something like that. You weren't a Christian, and then you became a Christian. Or for some of you, you would say, well, I was a Christian, but I'm not a Christian anymore. You know, I went to the, this high school conference, and they literally scared the hell out of me. You know, like all my friends, they did this skit, and all my friends died in a fiery car crash, and one wrote me a letter from hell, and why didn't you share the gospel with me, you know, and, and there's that elevator going up and an elevator going down, and I prayed the prayer, <laughs> right? And then something happened, and, and I, I'm done with that, right? Somebody hurt me. They mistreated me. Uh, I had that professor that blew up my world, and I was a Christian, but not anymore, right? I am I'm done with that. Uh, some of you, depending on your tradition, would probably maybe push back on that a little bit and say, well, there's no such thing as a was Christian, right? Once a Christian, you're always a Christian. You pray a prayer, you're a Christian. No such thing as a was. Right? For some of us, we've prayed that prayer a hundred times, dozens of times. Every time somebody offers the prayer of salvation, right, you're praying it because you're not sure if it took. You know, it's like Advil. It's like, is it working? I, not, I feel a little better, I think, you know. Um, some of you, I think, if you're really honest, would say, like, I can't stand Christians. Right? I, I don't want to be, it's like, I don't want to be associated with Christians, right? And, and I've shared this definition, this is, some, this is from Andy Stanley, and I just think it's so spot on, right? Some of you would say, this is, this is what a Christian is, right? Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and who secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell, right? Amen? Can I get an amen, right? right? Yeah, we've all experienced this. Even if you don't think this, uh, I'd be willing to bet you know somebody who feels this way. Right? For some of us who wouldn't say we're in that camp, we are Christians, but at the same time, we don't want to be associated with Christians. It's like your, your drunk uncle, you know? It's like you're embarrassed by how they behave, but you're associated, you know? You're related. Um, there's so many different ideas. Like this word Christian, what in the world does it mean? Right? So, so there's good news and there's bad news on this. And, and the good news is that none of what I have described is defined anywhere in the Bible as being Christian. You just won't find it. Right? So a lot of the crap that passes as Christian, you're just not going to find a lot of biblical support for it. And I think that's pretty good news. Right, but the bad news is that if you let the Bible define itself on its own terms and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what we find is we find different verbiage and we find something that's far more intrusive and challenging. Something that's a little bit scary. Right? Because the word, Christian, the word Christian in the Bible, we only find it three times. And actually, it was, it was a derogatory term, which for some of you, that's exactly what it still is, right? It's a, it's a negative term. It's like redneck, you know? And it, this followers of the way became an entity, and people were trying to, like, describe what they were, you know? And, and so it's like in high school, you've got all these different groups, right? You've got jocks, and you've got geeks, and you've got, I don't know, hipsters, and we had uh, the really sad people. What are they? Emo. I don't know. Is that still a thing, right? They wore lots of eye makeup and moped around. That's all I remember. Listen to lots of sad music. Um, you know, you got all these different groups, and nobody's like, yo, I'm emo, you know? Emo's over here, you know? Uh, it's just, that's how we refer to people, because they, they look generally similar, they behave in some of the same ways, and we're trying to describe them. Well, that's exactly what happened when it came to this word Christian, right? So in Acts, uh, we get a little snippet that kind of tells us where this came from. Uh, Acts 11, verses 25 and 26 says this. It says, uh, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people. And then check out this next phrase. It says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's the first time, right? And people were trying to understand and describe that weird group of people, that really superstitious group of people that were behaving in all these bizarre ways. Oh, yeah, those, those Christians, that's what they are. Like, you're talking about those Christians. 
that's where it came from. But the thing is, when it came to followers of Jesus, these followers of the way, they didn't call themselves Christians. But it's not a word that they used to define themselves or describe themselves. Uh, we, don't find that, we don't find that anywhere. They call themselves something completely different. So part of the problem with this word Christian, one of the reasons it's defined a million different ways, right? One of the reasons there's so many facets and spinoffs and there's tribes and denominations. One of the reasons you have Christians on the both sides of every issue, you have Christians going to war with one another, right? Is that nobody can open up the Bible and say, hey, here's where it is. This is right here. Thus is the Christian, right? This is how they act. This is how they behave. This is how we define this term. This is what it means, right? You don't find that, you don't find that anywhere, Right? And so as a result, you can be a Christian and do just about whatever you want. You can treat people however you want, behave however you want, believe or not believe just about whatever you want. Right? But in the, in the Bible, when you look at the New Testament scriptures, the Gospels, the book of Acts, right, there's this term that, 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 that was used over and over and over. And it's the, it's the word disciple. Right? And the word disciple is a lot scarier than the word Christian. Because, again, Christian has a thousand different meanings. It doesn't mean anything. It means whatever you want. Right? But you open up the Bible and you ask, what is a disciple? There's an answer to that question. Right? A disciple is clearly defined. It's, it's, it's intrusive. It's convicting. It's scary. Right? We have to take the word disciple on its own terms. Right? So that's what I want to look at this morning. What exactly is a disciple then? Right? If I'm going to follow Jesus, what exactly am I signing up for? What does that word mean? All right, so to do that, I, I, I'm going to make this as, as simple as possible. And there's there's a, a passage where Jesus calls a couple of disciples, and he just, in this short little snippet, reveals to us what a disciple is and some of the implications of being one. All right, so here's where we're going. Matthew 4, verse 19. Jesus is walking along, comes along to Simon, who would be called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They're fishing, working the family trade, and Jesus says this. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, depending on your translation. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you're taking notes, number one, come follow me. Right? A disciple is somebody who knows and follows Jesus. Sounds simple enough, right? Part of following Jesus, first of all, is establishing what that relationship is. And Jesus is ahead, and I am behind. Jesus leads, right? And, and, and I follow. Right? So John uh, twelve twenty six. He put it this way. He said, whoever serves me must follow me. Right? And where I am, there they will also be. Right? In the Greek, it essentially means the exact same thing as it does in the English. Right? The word disciple means learner. Right? It means pupil, apprentice, protege, follower. Right? So culturally, when Jesus was walking around, right, there was this very entrenched religious culture. And in religious culture, these kids, they knew the scriptures. I mean, they were inundated with them, and they would memorize them. And so before they were teenagers, most of them could quote verbatim, memorized, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These people knew the scriptures, right? And as they grew older, there was kind of this process of elimination, right? And if you were smart enough, if you had what it took, right, you'd graduate to the next level and the next level and the next level. And if you didn't have what it took, you would go do what Simon, who would later be called Peter and Andrew, were doing. You'd work the family trade. But if you did have what it took, you graduated to these higher levels of studying the scriptures. And then eventually the goal was to find a rabbi who would say, you've got it what it takes. 
and I want you to come follow me. And you would go to that rabbi generally, and you would spar with one another over what the scripture was, would say. And he would ask you questions, and, and he would drill you, and you would ask questions back. And what he's trying to get a grasp of is how well do you know and understand the scriptures, right? And if you had one to take, eventually, the ultimate goal was to, was to hear those words, come follow me. And if you heard those words, you would drop everything. You would drop everything. You would leave your job, your family, your belongings, everything, and you would follow that rabbi step by step, and the goal was to become exactly like the rabbi. You would follow in a shadow. In fact, there was this, there was this uh, phrase that came, came out uh, from a, a Mishnah stage, and it was this phrase, right? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The reason they would say this is this is the visual of what you were doing. You're in their shadow, right? Step by step, following what they did, right? You're right in the dust. And you would actually, as a disciple, you would mimic everything that your rabbi would do, right? And so if the rabbi was going along and picked a fig and smelled it, right? The disciples who were following this rabbi would do the exact same thing. They'd each pick a fig and they would smell it, right? Or if, they, if he went along, he picked up a piece of hay and he put it in his mouth, right? What does every disciple do? The exact same thing. Just right in the shadow, right in the dust of the rabbi, pick up that straw, put it in his mouth, right? And so it, there were blessings. When the, when the rabbi would say a blessing, the disciples would then repeat back the blessing and do it themselves. So they had blessings for everything. So you'd bless a meal. And as soon as he was finished, all the disciples would say the exact same blessing. They had a blessing for when you got like new clothes, new garment, right? And so you get a new garment, he'd say the blessing. Even if the, the disciples didn't have a new garment of their own, they'd, they'd repeat the same thing back, right? And in fact, they had a blessing for going to the bathroom, right? And so the rabbi goes to the bathroom. Guess where the disciples are going? Into the bathroom, right? They want to learn how he does it or something like that. You know, I, I don't know that there's that many ways, but we are creative beings. It's the next series. I think Bill's going there. Right? In fact, I heard, like, I actually heard a story of a man who saw a rabbi. He came out of the stall and he said this blessing. He said, we bless you, O Lord our God, for giving us holes in our bodies. <laughs> Which, if they're not working well for a while, you know, they're not working properly and then they do work. I mean, you're blessed. It's time to bless, you know? But what do the disciples do in that moment? They come out. We bless you, O Lord, for giving us holes in our bodies. Right? Why is that? Right? Because this was the goal of a disciple. The goal of a disciple was to be just like the rabbi. And you follow along step by step, and you mimic his every move. And the goal is to one day to be like him, to think like him, to act like him, to live like him, to be just like him. Right, this is why Jesus says things like this in 4, 23, 24. There's implications to this. He says, look, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. But anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Right? And, and so this is like, kind of like where the rubber meets the road kind of thing when it comes to our faith. Right? There's implications to this. And I, I, I think, you know, we really love the idea of, of, of Jesus as Savior. I do. I'm a big fan, right? I hold tight onto that. But sometimes we miss the fact that he's not just Savior, right? He's also Lord, and he's both. And part of being a disciple is, is, is embracing Jesus in his entirety of who he is, right? He's Savior, and he's Lord. He's rabbi, and we are disciple, right? And the first part about being a disciple is knowing him and following him. Right? And the second thing we read is this. So he says, come follow me. And he says, and I will make you. Right? If you're taking notes, number two, a disciple is being changed by Christ. Saying, I will make you. Right? I've said this a number of times before, but 
one of the things that I love the most about Mosaic, this community, our vision, who we are, what we do, right, is this is a community where you can belong before you believe, regardless of whether you believe, regardless of you, whether you will ever believe, right? Belief is not a prerequisite to be a part of this community. And, you know, as a result, over the years, a lot of people have taken us up on that offer. And so even in this room right now, we've got people all over the faith spectrum. You've got people who are totally bought in into the Christian faith. You've got people who come from different faith backgrounds. You've got people who don't believe in God at all, and they call Mosaic home. And I love that, by the way. That's part of who we are, and we consider that a win, just who we are, right? And so I got a really cool email a couple weeks ago from a gal who had shared with me on a Sunday morning, you know, that she's an atheist, and she was just thanking me for this community and, and who you are and for being welcome here. And she emailed me later that week, and she said, she said, look, I've shared with you that I'm an atheist, right? So why do I feel so welcome at your church, right? And, and I said, short answer is because you really are. You know, and then I tweeted it immediately. You know, it's like, that's good. It's good. I got to share this, you know, um, because she is, right? That's, that's who we are. That's, that's what we want to replicate. And, and so what we've always said is, you know, no matter where you're at, like, you're, you belong here. You do, if you want to. But while we're here, we're going to crack open the scriptures. We're going to take a really hard look at Jesus and just had a candid, open conversation about what it means. We're going to explore together really what it says and what the implications are, and try to move forward together. And so I always want to be completely honest with you, right? And if you're in this room and you would say, you know what, I don't buy any of this. I'm, I'm here, but I'm just not there, you know? I, I want to be completely honest about what this whole thing means, right? Because Jesus, on the front end, he lets his disciples know, yes, you are invited. Come and follow me. But in the same breath, he says, and I will make you. In other words, there is change coming, right? You're, you're this way right now, but as you follow me, things are going to change. You're going to change. You can't stay where you are, right? And so he says them essentially the same thing he says to us. Is he says, like, me, my father, we love you. I love you exactly as you are, right? But I love you enough to not let you stay there because I have more for you. I have more for you. Right? I want this full life that I came to give you. And that's going to involve not only an invitation of coming and following me, but it's going to involve a, a process of change that's going to continue, by the way, for the rest of your life. Right? And that's what Jesus says. In fact, Luke 640, this is why he says things like this. The student is not above the teacher. The student, right, the disciple, the apprentice, the protege. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is a rabbi to disciple relationship, right? He's saying, this is where this is going. This is what it involves. You'll suck at it. You won't do it well sometimes. You're going to fail. But this lifelong process is going to be making you more and more like me because that's what the world needs. And honestly, that's what you need, right? So he invites, he says, change is coming. Part of this is changing who you are the way that you think and feel, but then he says it also changes the way that you behave. This is what he says, right? Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you're taking notes, number three, a disciple is committed to the mission of Christ, right? The invitation to know, to know Christ, right? That's, that's a head thing, right? To be changed by Christ, that's a heart thing, but to engage and be fully committed to the mission of Christ, that's a hands thing, right? Like, that is active, right? And 
And I, I pointed this out because in some ways it seems so like elementary. It's like, of course, yeah, I get it. But man, somewhere along the way, this whole Christian thing, part of the reason this term is so problematic is somewhere along the way, it just became about what we believe. Right? And as long as you, you, you believe the right things and you can answer the right way, like, you got it. You know, and so, so here's, here's like a regular part of my life. So recently I had a meeting with somebody who calls Mosaic Home, um, kind of on the fringes, margin, highly church person, wanted to get together with me to tell me how bad I'm doing my job. It happens. Right? And so we're meeting, and in the course of our conversation, he shares with me, you know, I'm really not doing a very good job at being a, a husband, uh, not doing a very good job of being a dad to my kids. He says, uh, I'm not really connected in meaningful ways with other believers. You know, nobody really has permission to speak into my life or call me on my crap. And he says, and you know, the people that I do know from church, the people that I am connected to, uh, I, I don't speak up even when I know I should. Um, and, and then he proceeded to tell me that, that I'm not teaching him enough Bible. And, and so he said, you know, you only teach on the easy stuff, you know? So he's like, serving the poor, it's easy. Everybody can get on board with that. It's easy, you know? And so I just asked him, I said, okay, how are you serving the poor with your life? You know, he burst out laughing. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I want to strangle a unicorn every time I have this conversation, right? Because I'm like, you just, in the same sentence, you just got to- done telling me Right, that you're, you're being a bad husband, you're being a bad father, you're not connected to other believers, you're not speaking to the truth and the people in, into the lives of Christians who you know are in your life and they need to hear what you have to say. You're, you're not serving the poor, and you know you're supposed to be doing all of those things, you're just choosing not to. And then the same breath you're telling me that I'm just not giving you enough information. <laughs> right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is everything that is wrong <laughs> with Christianity in America, you know? Like, like somewhere along the way, we started thinking about Christian faith like high school algebra, right? And I, yeah, yeah, you know, for some of us, that was a real struggle, right? For, for others of us, right, like, so for me, like, I was a pretty good test taker in high school, right? So I could cut corners and skim at the end. I have a good short-term memory and do fairly well because I could just, all, all high school algebra is, is regurgitating the right answer, right? You get this test. If you can just write down the right answer on the piece of paper, you get an A, and it doesn't matter how much you slacked or didn't show up to class or whatever. If you can just knock out those requirements and test well, the right answer on paper, you get an A. And I think for a lot of us, that's the way that we've come to understand our faith. It's like at the end of our lives, God is just going to give us like a multiple choice test on our theology. And as long as on the major stuff, we, we check the right boxes, we pass. And be like, man, it is good to have you here, you know, like... Thank you for being so faithful. You know, you, you get an A. Right? But when it comes to discipleship, I, I look at what a disciple is and what it meant and what Jesus called his disciples to. And I'm like, it doesn't look anything like that. Like, it's not like high school algebra at all. It's like shop class. Right? You remember shop class? I sucked at shop class. You can't cut corners in shop class. Right? You've got to actually build whatever it is you're supposed to build. So I remember I had to build like this clock. Right? And, and, man, I built the ugliest clock, and I still have it as a memory, you know, because I'm not wired that way. But the thing about shop class is, like, you do learn a lot, right? They teach you how to use the tools, right? They teach you about uh, the different kinds of wood and how to work with them. They teach you about the different kinds of stain and how to put it all together, right, and, and make this beautiful thing. Problem is, in, in shop class, if you don't actually build the clock, you fail, 
And you might be able to answer all the right multiple choice questions and say, this saw does that, and that saw does that, and this is what you should use for stain, and this is the process, this is how you use a hammer, right? The physics work this way. But if you never actually pick up the tools and feel the grain of the wood between your fingertips and sand and sweat, you don't pass the class. It doesn't matter if you're on the the attendance sheet or not. Discipleship is a lot more like that. Right? And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is the call to be a disciple. Right? Jesus didn't say, right, um, you know, he, he, he didn't say, look, I've come so that those who believe all the right things might have life and have the full. Right? Or this is how they will know that you are my disciples. Right? By the way that you theologize. By the way you articulate your statement of faith. You know, by the way that you interact and dialogue and argue down those who disagree with you theologically. Or he didn't say anything like that. He said it will be by your love. And by the way, that's a hands issue. Right? That's a lifestyle issue. That's a disciple issue. Right? That's people looking at the way that we live and saying that's how they're going to know that you are mine and I am yours. Right? If the information never works its way from your head to your heart to your hands... You may be a Christian, but you're not a disciple. And by the way, I've never called you to be a Christian. Right? And so to just put my cards on the table, I, I think there is a question that we have to wrestle with as a church and as individual believers, those of us who are. Right? And that is, are you a disciple? Or are you just a Christian? Jesus never called you to just be a Christian. Right? You're going to open up that text, I dare you. You're not going to find stuff in there telling you to be a Christian. But you will find plenty calling you to be a disciple. And a lot of that has to do with not just theological knowledge, not just growing in your understanding of the scriptures, not just internal change, personal thing that never makes its way out here. It makes its way from head to heart to hands. Right? It, it really is like an all-encompassing thing. And this is why the word disciple is so much scarier than the word Christian. Because you can actually define it. It's painfully clear. There are big implications to wrestling with that word disciple and say, yes, I will follow you. Personally, if I'm really honest, I don't think the world needs more Christians. I think we have plenty. And I'm kind of tired of them, to be honest with you. I'd rather not see many more of them, right? And honestly, as a pastor, like, I don't know what to do with a bunch of Christians, you know? Like, we talk about loving our city well and serving our city and impacting the city and seeing the gospel of God's grace saturate the city, right? But, man, we could be a church of 10,000. If it's 10,000 Christians, we may just cause more problems, you know? We may not make a dent in the city, right? But, man... 400 disciples, that's more than enough to change a city. 12 of them changed the world. Right? And so this, today, the only homework, the, the only challenge I have for you is I just want you to wrestle. Not, not later, you know, tomorrow or next week or when you feel whatever. But today, just ask yourself the question, right, am I a disciple or am I just a Christian? All right, let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you for the challenge. Uh, It's honestly very relieving to know I don't have to be a Christian because I don't generally like them. 
uh, but the call to be a disciple, Lord, that is something that is worthy of my life. And knowing that uh, the call is not to do it perfectly, you knew full well that we would stumble and fall at times, that we would do it really poorly in others. It's a process. But I think that's the key word, that process. A movement in your direction, covered in the dust of our rabbi. Asking, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? What would you do? Because I'm going to do that. Lord, how would you have me respond over here? How, how would you have me react to this person or, or treat this person who has done me wrong? What would you have me do with my money and my time and my dreaming and my, my plans for my life, Lord? Because whatever that is that you would do, that's, that's what I want to do. Because I'm not just a Christian. I'm a disciple. And Lord God, my prayer for us as a community is that we would never be content to be a church full of Christians, but that our heart's intent would always be to be disciples who look like you, who smell like you, who love like you. So Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.